0: happy to be in the room with you and to worship with you and to just experience the presence of God with you. We are in week three of our seven-part series entitled, uh, entitled Seven Days, which is really diving into the Passion Week or that the last week of Jesus's life. But before we jump into that, I just want to take a quick moment and just welcome those who are watching online again we understand that maybe some of you are at home because you're just you're stuck at home with road closures uh and maybe health situations but we just want to wish you all the best We, we know that the presence of God is with you there and uh we just thank you so much for engaging with us feel free to engage in the chat window let us know where you're watching from or if you have a prayer request let us know we'd love to join with you and connect with you wherever you are. And if you live in the Concord area or the, and you've been checking us out for a while but never been in this room, we want to invite you to join us. Uh, we have room for you. We are committed to making space for you. And so uh, we would love to meet you in person. If you're following along with us, again, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app and you can follow all of our notes there. I'm going to give you a warning. There's a lot of scripture today. There's a lot going on, a lot of scripture, so if you'd like to kind of follow along and read, maybe save the notes for later, um, excuse me, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app and you can go to the events and you can find the outline there. But we are in this final, this, this week series as we prepare for Easter, as we discuss the last seven days of Jesus' life. And again, many of us wonder, why are we spending seven days, why are we spending a whole series just on seven days of Jesus' life? And it's really it's really clear, it's because the Bible does. The Bible puts a lot of emphasis on the last seven days of his life. In fact, two-thirds, or one-third rather, of the Gospels, if you add all the chapters together of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all one-third of the Gospels accounts are just on the last week of Jesus' life. One-third committed to this final Passion Week, where, where God's love for humanity was on full display. And as we discussed over the last couple of weeks, we believe that Christ's passion for us demands a passionate response. That God's passionate love for us, that God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world, that this is how he showed his love, by sending his love, He's sending his son. That his passionate love for us demands a passionate response in return. And I love, again, how the author of When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross, Isaac Watts, he he penned these. He says, "Love so amazing. love so divine. What does it do? It demands my soul, my life, my all, everything that I have. And isn't that a prayer for us that we could live in this, that our lives could be this passionate response to Christ's amazing love, for God's amazing love. And so we've just been going through this Passion Week Day by day. And we started at day one on the triumphal entry. Sunday that uh, week before the resurrection, Sunday, the triumphal entry, also known as Palm Sunday. Talked about that, how our worship is our response to what we value most. Then we moved last week into day two, which was the Monday where Jesus returns back to the temple. And he doesn't just go to the temple, but he's there to make a statement. He's there to say, hey, this system, this sacrificial system is broken. Therefore, I'm going to be the solution once and for all. The ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, the ultimate and final sacrifice for all of humanity. He demonstrates his, his passion for purity and his passion for justice. And you can go back if you want to catch up. You can watch those online. But today we're going to jump into Tuesday of that week, and it's a big day. There's lots going on on Tuesday, and we see that Jesus is, is teaching here on the Mount of Olives. And uh, if you were to, again, if you were to look at the Gospels. There's over 200 verses uh, referencing this week. So buckle up, we're going to read all 200 verses this morning. Now we're not going to do that. But there's a lot. As, as you're going through this, you're like, it's kind of like the Sermon on the Mount 2.0. You know, when Jesus started his ministry, he had, we, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthews 5, 6, and 7, where he's basically unloading kind of like the kingdom of heaven, right? He's just letting everyone know, What they thought they know. He's just giving them a heads up on what his ministry was going to be about. And then the rest of his three years, he kind of lived out that teaching. He kind of demonstrated it and reinforced it. And he's now we're kind of at the end of his ministry. And he kind of has this Mount Sermon on the Mount 2.0 where he's just kind of out downpouring kind of all that's going to happen, not just in the next few days, but in the next really the next season when he goes into heaven and then until his second coming, he's sort of just downloading all this information. And I'm sitting there going, shoot, what do we focus on? L- like what, in, in all the teachings of this day on Tuesday, what do we draw attention on? The religious leaders were, were full, of, they were in full gear plotting against Jesus. Like he was, he was turning over tables, he was ruffling feathers, the water was starting to boil over, like something was about to happen, everyone could feel it, his disciples could sense it, something was about to break. You know, something that the religious leaders have just been been plotting and scheming and toying, but now they were getting to the place where he was just destroying even their livelihood by turning over the temple, and and he was just, there was something was about to break. Judas was in this season. Remember, Judas is one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and no doubtedly in this season, now this last week, Judas, whether he has actually talked to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, or whether he's even just plotting in his heart, he is starting to figure out ways to betray Jesus. Like, just think about all that's going on. Jesus full well knowing that this is actually taking place in front of him. Jesus knowing full well what was about to come up in the days ahead. And so the clock was ticking and, and the players and the props and all the things that were coming into place for this grand finale, this grand gesture of love as we preparing for the cross. And so there's so many things that we can focus on in this text. If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, which we're going to spend most of our time in this morning, the Gospel of Matthew is from Matthew 21 to 25. There's four chapters there where it's all just about the teachings of Jesus and the things he just needed us to know. But as we work through these Gospels, sort of like what I just felt we needed to do is instead of just driving into maybe one topic or one lesson, I thought we would do is take kind of a 30,000 look view or, uh, you know, foot view on what Jesus was trying to get across, what he was trying to say. And my hope is that it would develop enough kind of curiosity or interest in you that maybe you go home today or this week and you can just read this teaching for yourself. You can go read the gospel, uh, what, that's Tuesday account of Gospels in Matthew 25, 21 rather 25. You can go home and you get that on your own. But what I want to do is just kind of tell you three words, which I feel is sort of the essence of this teaching. Is Jesus says three words, he talks about his authority, He wants to give us assurance, and he wants to remind us about our assignment. He talks about his authority in order to give you and I assurance so that we can live out our assignment. This is really the essence of the teachings of Jesus. So we're just going to jump right into it today. you good with that? We're going to jump right in and just understand it. So the first thing we know is that Jesus assures his authority. This is the first thing Jesus is doing on Tuesday. He's assuring his authority. He's assuring his authorities to his disciples, to his followers. Early the next morning, it says that Jesus heads back to the temple, right? So he's kind of gone to the temple now three days in a row, right? triumphal entry, came home. Monday, goes back to the temple, comes home. Tuesday morning, goes back to the temple with his disciples. Where's he hanging out? He's hanging out in Bethany, which is just a small little town outside of Jerusalem. That's where he's hanging out for the night. Hanging out with Lazarus, Mary, Martha. That's probably where he's hanging out. That's his friends, his family members just outside the city. So he's going back into Jerusalem, and here we pick up a story in Matthew 21, verse 23. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. And here's the question, by what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? So it's interesting to note that they're not asking because they're curious. They're not asking because they, do want to, they're, they want to be his disciples. They're not asking because they want to follow him. They're asking because they want to trap him. Right? Again, they are looking for a way to set him up. They are looking for a way to justify their d- intent of killing him. And so they're looking for him to say something, they're to blaspheme or to call himself God or, or do something that will give them credibility to kill him, really, to to send him over to the high priest. And so Jesus replied, he says, well, I'll ask you one question. Don't you love that? I'm going to, you answer a question with a question. This is what Jesus is doing. I'll ask you one question. If you answer me, then I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And and then he says, John the Baptist, John's baptism. So John the Baptist, which is Jesus' cousin, he was there to prepare the way. You know, he was the crazy guy who ate locusts and honey. The guy in the wilderness, that crazy guy. So he's talking with John the Baptist where did he where did uh, where does John's baptism as he baptized people in water where did it come from was it from heaven or of human origin and they discussed it among themselves as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law they said and they say well if it's from if we say from heaven then he will ask well then why didn't you believe him like why did you have him handed over and but if we say of human origin then we're afraid of the people for they held they, they all hold that John was a prophet, so they thought he was from God. So we can't say he was from God or was from man. And so they said, hey, i got an answer. Let's just say we don't know. <laughs> let's, just, let's just say we don't know. And then Jesus says, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And I think it's critical for us to understand in this room, is, as we understand Scripture, as we understand really what's happening here, is that Jesus' authority was and always was. Jesus' authority was never given to him. His authority, he is God. So all authority came from him and it dwelled within him. John's Gospel, John 1, verse 1 to 4, many of us know this. He says, in the beginning, many before anything happened, before anything came about, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, meaning this is, we're talking about a person here named Jesus. And the Word was God, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing had been made. He in Himself was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Listen, I love this about Jesus. Jesus didn't have to convince anybody where His authority came from. Even when He was standing in front of Pilate, if we were to fast forward a couple days, and He's now being judged and He's being condemned, and He's standing in front of Pilate, the one who holds all the authority. You know, I use that quotes right? Like temporary authority. The one who thinks he's in control. Even standing before the guy who holds all authority, Jesus never defends himself. He never, he never puffs up his chest. He never says, do you not know who I am? You know? Is this sort of like the idea of the creator? I mean, the created asking the creator, like, where their authority comes from. You know? It's like, no, I'm the one who made you. You, I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who breathed life into you. I don't need to justify myself to you. Remind me of this verse in John 6, 4, where Jesus is speaking and he's telling people, listen, no one can come to the Father, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent them draws them. There is an awareness that has to happen inside of each and every one that is not an external an external thing, it's not something that can be forced upon you, but there is an awakening that happens inside of each and every one of us, where we have, not only do we hear about God anymore, but we see God, right? Right? How many people know you sit sit with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and you cannot argue them into the existence. You cannot argue them into a personal revelation. There's a a deposit and a drawing that has to happen from the inside out. The Spirit of God has to soften the heart and remove the blinds of our heart to see God for who he is. Many of us are here today, the Father drew himself. We have, we're here because we had that moment. Many of us are here because we had that moment of awareness where we just had a revelation where we made sense. Remember, the, we talked about the cross. It seems like foolishness before. But now in the power of God and the, and the understanding of who God is, we understand it is the power of God. The Gospels record moments where the crowds that he, were listening to him had this personal revelation where they saw it. In Matthew 7, earlier on in this, chap, in this, in this book, Matthew records it in Matthew 7, 28. He says, when the, Jesus had finished saying, when he had teach, done teaching, the crowds were amazed because he taught as one who, what? who had authority. Like they recognized something different in him. And not, I love how they say, and not as the teachers of the law. Like the teachers of the law taught the law But they didn't have the authority that came from writing the law. Because you know when Jesus taught the law, he wasn't teaching somebody else's law. He was teaching and revealing the law that he wrote. So he talked it with a different type of authority. And they recognized that in him. The disciples saw it in Matthew 16. We see Matthew 16, 13. Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say? Who Who do the people say the Son of Man is? Who do they say I am? They replied, some say you're John the Baptist. The others say... You're Elijah, and still others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So they recognize something. They recognize there's something about you that's different. And then, and then, then Jesus says to them, and says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? He's talking to his, his 12, his disciples. And Peter, the bold one, steps up. He says, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, the son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh or blood, meaning this was not revealed to you, or you were not convinced by this, from any natural environment or natural circumstance. However, it, but, it, but by the Father in heaven, you had an internal revelation, your eyes of your spirit opened to see me for who I am. And we see here, as we continue reading in the story, that the religious leaders, they just couldn't see it. If we fast forward in, in Matthew 23, 34, Jesus is saying to them, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who, who, who sent to you, sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you as children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But he's saying, listen, but you just were not willing. You just were not willing to see me. You were not willing to recognize me. You were not willing to understand that I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the one you've been praying to. I am the one who sent you. I'm the one who created you. I'm the one that you're hoping for, that you're longing for. I am the Messiah that you've been dreaming about and praying for, and you have just refused to recognize that in me. So Jesus is in this moment where he's demonstrating his authority, and he's waiting for the revelation, but he's not going to demand it. He's not going to enforce it for physical means. And Jesus goes on and tells a couple parables of the two, sir, to two sons, about, which is about obedience. And he talks about the parables of the tenants, which is about rejecting authority. Like, you don't even, even recognize the authority of the owner who's sending a son to you. And the Bible says in Matthew 21, 45, it says, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Like, they, they knew that he was criticizing them because the, of their inability to recognize, their inability to... To see Jesus' authority. So they looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people, the crowd, the masses, held him as a prophet. So Jesus continued to teach. And we can spend time just breaking down all the teachings of the wedding banquet. And paying taxes to Caesar. And the marriage in heaven. Or the greatest commandment. You know, we talked about the greatest commandment. Or we talked about the seven woes that Jesus had. For the teachers of the law, we don't have time to get in there, but maybe you do on your own. But all of these teachings, all of these topics, Jesus was just reinforcing his heavenly authority. He was reinforcing why he came. He was setting up the table that he was here with a plan. He was here with a purpose, and he was here for those who would see him and follow him. His heart was for them from the beginning to the end. So as Tuesday begins, Jesus assures his authority. As Tuesday begins, as he's in the temple, as he's teaching as a rabbi, he's not just teaching as another rabbi. He's not just teaching as another teacher. He is teaching as the final authority, as the one who wrote the law, the fulfillment of the law. And those who saw it could not unsee it. His disciples who had a revelation, they just could not unsee it. He taught his authority and, and, and as as. It's those who challenge him and those who would follow him. So here's what I want you to know. Jesus, the first thing we see on Tuesday, Jesus assures his authority. Second thing we see is that Jesus' authority, it gives you and I assurance. Right? Not only does Jesus assure his authority, but his authority actually gives you and I assurance. Let's continue to reading in Matthew 24. And Jesus left the temple. So he's leaving the temple now. He had his moment. They're walking back out. And he sat on the mountain of olives, Mount of olives, and his disciples came to him privately. I love this moment. This is, see, this is kind of a contrast to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke on a mountain to thousands of people, like followers, skeptics, people who were just curious, like those who just wanted to come and see what was all going on, those who were truly following him. We don't know. Some of them probably just came for the show and walked away and never thought about it again. But others committed their life to following him. Some were part of the crowd were the Pharisees who were looking to judge him and critique him and and criticize him. But in this moment, three years later, Jesus sits on the Mount of Olives and he sits with those closest to him. He sits with those who have committed their life to him. He sits with those who are going to carry on the message, those who have recognized his authority. And those who've sold their life, they've given up their life, they've, they've, they've put their businesses aside, some have left their family members aside, and they went to commit their life to following after Jesus. And he says to them privately, he's, he's saying, tell us, the disciples are asking, tell us, when will all these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Listen, I know you're going, I, I, I don't fully understand, but I know something's going to happen, you're going to leave us. But what's the sign of you coming back? Like, what's going to happen? And then Jesus answered them, So that no one leads astray. No one will lead you astray. And Jesus is giving them words of confidence and assurance. Right? He's giving them confidence and assurance. And this is a sidebar for us. This is what I love about scripture, about Christ, about faith in Christ and God. Is that when you have the right motives, when you have the right motives, you can come to God. You can come to him. We talked about this a little bit last week, right? You don't need to go to the temple. You don't need to go to the Holy of Holies. You don't have to go to the high priest. But you have the ability to come right to the Father as his disciples. You can write to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me understand. Like, I I hear you you saying this. I read this in Scripture. But help me understand what's really going on. We have this beautiful opportunity. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7. He says, listen, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open For anyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. When you ask with a pure heart, when you ask with the right motives, when you ask wanting to learn from God and not trying to trap him or trick him, but when you come with the intent, pure intent of actually wanting to understand and to follow him, he says, ask and you will know. You, don't, you just, open, just knock and I'll open the door for you. This is not some secret thing that's only reserved for the elites and the, for the few. This is for you. This is for I. That's a little sidebar. And then he continues on, the Sermon on the Mount 2.0. Jesus begins to prepare them for what is going to happen when he leaves. And it, you know, in short... I know I have to sum it up because we don't have time to get into every part of it. But here's what he says. It's not going to get easy. In fact, it's going to get harder. You think they hated me? <laughs> Just wait. They're going to hate you too. You think they're trying to take me out? Guess what? They're going to try to take you out too. Guess what? This road that I'm I'm I'm, I'm preparing a way and I'm opening the door, but it's not going to be over yet. There's still work to be done. It's not going to be easy. but And he's also saying, listen, everything is going to happen the way it's supposed to happen. Listen, he's giving his, his disciples assurance. Listen, everything is going to happen the way it's going to happen. And it's going to end when I say it's going to end. No sooner, no later. I'm the ultimate authority. I'm an ultimate uh, uh, sovereign, sovereign over all of these things. I just want you to know. I want you to have the insurance that everything is going to be okay. So we pick up his, in Matthew 24, in verse 10, he says, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted. Well, that sounds great. Real confidence, real assurance building, right? You're going to be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. This is what he's telling his disciples, those who committed their life to him. Then you'll be hated by all the nations because of me. And at that time, Many will turn away from faith and will be betrayed and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. We see this today, don't we? Because of the increase of uh, wickedness, the love of the most will grow cold. But here's the, cur- here's the promise. But the one who stands firm, the one who stands firm will, will to the end will be saved. And then Jesus gives these three assurances. He gives these, assur- these three assurances to the one he loves the most. He loves so dearly his faithful followers. And he says these three things. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached. This will be preached. I mean, nothing's going to stop it. No temporary powers of this world, no, no temporary uh, you know, people of authority are going to stop this. The kingdom of God will be preached. Nothing will to take its place. The whole world will witness it as a testimony to all nations. It's going to be good to all nations. Nothing's going to stop it. My message is going to spread across the world, not just here in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of the world. My message is going to spread, and it will end, and then the end will come, meaning it will end when I say it ends, and not, not when any temporary authority says it's going to end. And so here he's assuring his followers, his disciples. He's saying, I'm giving the assurance in victory. Hey, you're going to succeed. We're going to win. It's going to be okay. He's giving the assurance of mission, Listen, this mission is to all nations. This isn't just the, the Israelites or the people in Jerusalem and Judea. This is for everybody. And it's not going to happen until the, the whole world knows. You have a mission ahead of you. And it gives them assurance of completion, meaning it will not stop until I say it's over. No one else is going to stop this. They're going to try to kill me. They're going to try to end it. They're going to try to shut you up. They're going to try to stone you. They're going to imprison you. They're going to beat you. They're going to sacrifice. They're going to hurt you. They're going imp- to imprison you. But guess what? None of that stop. None of that is going to stop the mission. It will only stop when I say it's done. And he's giving his disciples assurance. Listen, they know that they're going to cross the finish line. They know they're going to reach the end. Is the journey going to be easy? Absolutely not. I remember a couple of years ago, my brother convinced me to do Tough mutter. If you've never done Tough mutter, I'll save yourself from that hardship. It is horrible. I'm just joking. It's horrible when you're out of shape. I'll say that much. And we did this Tough mutter. It was 16 kilometers in Collingwood. And you had to go up and down the mountain, like, 18 times, walk, like, running, which, like, this, I was not built for that. Let's just say, why are you laughing too hard? Don't laugh so hard about that. But in the process, you have to do these obstacles. You know, you have to crawl in mud and, and barbed wire and getting shocked getting electrocuted and crawling over walls and just crazy stuff. But you know what the hope is? Is that you're enduring all of that hardship? Is you know the finish line is coming. Like, you know it's almost over. You know the hot shower is waiting. You know, like, the massage table is waiting for you. You know, you just know you're going to be able to put your feet up and be warm again and be, and be cozy again and comforted again. So you're able to endure those hardships, those, those, those challenges along the way. And what Jesus is giving his disciples is, listen, you, there's assurance that it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be hard. It's going to be challenging. And you know what? Some of you are going to die probably tragic deaths. And, and if you study the life of the disciples, they do. But I want you to know, the kingdom of God will be preached to all nations. And it will end when I say it's end. Nothing else is going to stop. And we can, we can rest in that. Some of us are so worried about the end. We're so worried about how the government or the world leaders or situations or circumstances are going to end it. Listen, none of this is out of God's control. Nothing we live in today is outside of God's sovereignty, outside of God's plan. Do we understand it? No. Does God know? Yes. And can we rest in assurance that God who holds all things together, who sees your concerns and your fears and your struggles and your anxieties and your worries and your doubts, that he is still God in all of those things. And no matter what's going on around us, we can rest like the disciples in the assurance that it's okay. That it's not going to end without God's divine plan and outside of God's divine timing. And we can find rest in that His Jesus' authority His authority that He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He is the great I am. He is the beginning and the end. And when we trust in His authority, we then have the assurance in who's on our team. Who's leading this team? Who's the pastor of this church? Who's the head of this church? It's not me. Praise Jesus. Right? But it's Him. It's His authority. And we can rest in that. The third thing this does is our assurance, our assurance in Jesus' authority establishes our assignment. Our assurance, our confidence, our trust, our dependability in His authority establishes our steps. It establishes our assignment, meaning our confidence in who Jesus is and what He taught allows us to do what He's asked us to do without fear or doubt or worry or stress or anxiety, we can do it with confidence. Because greater is he that is in me, the authority of Christ in me, than he that is in the world. And if God before me, then who can be against me? So that confidence rests in our hearts. And again, I cannot convince you of this. This is not something that I can convince you of. My prayer today for all of us is that we would have a divine revelation that God would reveal himself. God the Father would re- reveal himself to all of us that the blinders of our heart would be removed and we would see with new eyes or fresh eyes the authority of God. Jesus finishes his teaching by giving his followers the assignment, kind of letting them know what really it's all about. I kind of liken it to like, he's letting to know what the final tests of the exams are. Like he's letting them know the answers to the final test. My teacher used to do that, Mr. Roger Stronstadt in college. I loved it. He would always give you the answers to all of his exams. The problem is he gave you six answers but only asked you two questions. So you had to, get, you had to know all six. Or you took, you know, you knew four out of six. You know, it took a gamble a little bit. Right? But it was always essays, you know, it was always essay stuff. And he would always, you know, right off the hop, what four questions or what six, what's what's it's going to be one of these, it's going to be two of these six questions. He lets you know ahead of time so you can prepare accordingly. And Jesus kind of does that to us. He kind of does that to his disciples. He kind of lets them know, listen, there's going to come a day when you're going to stand before God and he's going to judge, not just by what you say, but how you live, by what you did. How, how the assignment, how the, uh, God's authority and his assurance affected your assignment. And he tells the story of the sheep and the goats, the separating of the sheep and the goats, and the sheep are entered into heaven, and the goats are turned away. And he, and he says, he, in Matthew 25, he says, for when I was hungry, and, and this is the defining line, he says, for when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. The disciples are kind of caught off guard. They're like, what are you talking about? When, when did any of that happen? You know, we've been with you the whole time. Like, when when were you in prison? When were you naked? When were you when were you hungry? We've all been hungry. What are you talking about? We're living in the wilderness for crying out loud. We don't have a home. We're all hungry. And Jesus will say to me, say to them, then the righteous will answer, When did we see you hungry or feed you or give you something to, something to thirsty or give you something to drink? And when did you see as a stranger invited you in? Need clothe and clothe you. And Jesus looked at them and said, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. Listen, when you love the least, when you love others, when you love those that I love, you're doing it for me. When you actually love those that I love, you actually love me. We we say it like this around here. We demonstrate our love for God by loving those he loves. Right? Like, that's how we demonstrate our love for God. How do you show a love to a God that you can't touch, you can't see, you can't feel, you know, physically feel? Well, you love those that you can touch, see, physically feel, who are made in the image of God. Right? like That's how we do it. Jesus is saying, listen, you want to show your love for me? You want to show you're following me? You want to show you're committed to the assignment? Then love those that I love. Love those you can see your touch, And not just the ones that are easy to love, like the least of these, the ones who are often overlooked. The ones who you often and easily walk by. Love them. And when you love them, you're going to love me. I'm going to see that. James goes on. James is Jesus' brother, his half-brother. And James writes a letter to the church, and he picks up on the heels of this, and he says, religion that God accepts as pure and as faultless is this, is to look after the widows and the orphans in their distress and to keep ones from being polluted by the world. There is a call to care for those that Jesus loves. Why is all sin created equal? Because all sin hurts people. Like, it doesn't matter whether you're stealing or killing being adulterous or whether you're coveting, all of the sins is the cost of people. And so when you hurt people, you hurt God because all people were made in the image of God. They're all loved by God. God saw every one of them, you and I included, before we were, before we were saved, while we were still enemies of God. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, meaning we were all enemies of God. We were all the least of these. We were all overlooked and full of sin and shame and despair. Christ saw us as we are, and he loved us too much to leave us the way we are. I love how James, Jesus in, in his conversations, Jesus comes back after the resurrection, and he talks to Peter, and again, he tells him, "Peter, if you love me, if you love me, feed my sheep, right? If you love me, take care of those people that I put in relationship with you, that, that you have oversight with, that, you, that I'm bringing in your path. Like that's how you're going to love me. This is your assignment. See, our assurance in Jesus' authority establishes our assignment. We don't, after I have to wake up one day going, I wonder what God's will for my life is. I'll tell you what God's will for your life is. Love the people he puts in your path. Like, honestly, just love the people he's put in your path. Treat them with kindness and gentleness. Protect them. Speak kindly of them. Defend them. Don't just pray for them and walk away and not ignore them. No, reach out your hand, extend your hand of love and generosity and kindness. He's asking us to care for those he puts in our place. And so when we look at the teachings of Jesus, there's a lot we can dive into. But my prayer today is that it's this, these three words of authority, assurance, and assignment that they register something in your heart that developed a curiosity for you to go back and read the teachings of Jesus to help emphasize and explain the heart of God. My prayer for us is this, is that God would give every one of us in this room a fresh revelation of his authority. doesn't matter if you're new to Jesus, maybe you're just being introduced to Jesus for the very first time today, or maybe you've been serving Jesus and following Jesus for a long part of your life, a big part of your life. I'm praying today, that you get a fresh revelation of his authority. That God would reveal himself to you anew and a fresh, and that would develop within us a deep sense of assurance as an anchor for our soul, because you know what? The world is, we're we're in some troubling times, we're in some turbulent waters. But the assurance of Christ's authority, of God's authority develops an anchor for our soul to hold us true, to hold us stable, to hold us secure. And it would compel us to live each day according to his purposes, and a power at work within each one of us. Fast forward, fast forward a few days. Jesus, was he died, he was raised alive. We're going to life. We're gonna talk about that in the next couple weeks. But then he conquered death and he conquered sin as the ultimate and final sacrifice. Jesus then comes back to reveal himself to the disciples and spends about 40 days with them. as prepares them for the, before he leaves in the final ascension. But I love this line. I, I saw this again for the very first time as I was preparing for our message here today, then many of us who've grown up in church, you know this passage of scripture, but through the eyes and through the lens of authority, assurance, and assignment, I saw it anew and a fresh. It's Matthew 28, verse 18, it says this, and then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the first time that Jesus is declaring boldly the authority that he has. Yeah, all up to now, people were, were, they were recognizing it themselves. It was something that happened within the spirit, within, within, with the Father was revealing to them. But here's Jesus now saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now I'm giving it to you. This authority that's been given to me, I'm giving it to you. Therefore now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded. What is this? This is our assignment. Christ's authority has now given us an assignment. Something we have to do to go and to teach and to preach and to share and to walk with people and to tell them about the good news and the grace and the power and the hope of heaven. And then here's here's where the insurance comes in. He says, you're not doing this by yourself. I'm not sending you out by yourself. Surely I am with you. I am with you to the very end. Right to the very end, I'm with you. You're not doing this on your own. Today you and I can stand here and walk, and work, and minister not in our own confidence, not in our own insurance, not in our own authority, but in the authority of Christ that has been deposited to us as his followers, to live out the assignment he's given us with the assurance that he's walking with us. This is what he's trying to communicate to his disciples before Easter, before Resurrection Sunday, before he dismisses, and this is what he's trying to communicate to you and us as his followers, if we would listen and hear the word god c.s lewis says jesus is either a liar he's either a lunatic or he's lord you can only pick one you can't be all three so if you and i view him as lord if we trust in his authority if god has given us a revelation then he says he is with you and i love and when peter confessed that jesus you are lord you're the son of the living god peter jesus then says to him that's right and on your faith and on you i'm going to build my church on that revelation, on that understanding, that deposit that you've seen, I'm going to build my church, and not even the powers of hell can conquer it. Not even the powers of hell are going to stop, and nothing is going to end, nothing is going to stop until I say it is over. Come on, assurance, authority, assurance, and assignment. Jesus has been clear, there's a lot in there. But I believe for us who hear, for heed, who listen, who obey, we can leave this place with this silence, this kind of confidence. This, it's almost like I was thinking about it this morning. This like, it's like be still and know that I am God. It's like quiet confidence. Jesus never had to defend himself, nor do we have to defend Him. We can just rest in the quiet confidence of who He is, who He said He was gonna, what He said He was gonna do, and that He said He would never leave us nor forsake us. i gonna say, I invite you to stand to your feet, cross this place. team is going to lead us in a song. It's just a, it's a prayer. It's a benediction. It's sort of a, it's a commitment to saying, Lord, I want to, I want to build my life on you. I want to commit my life to following after you, to trusting in your authority and your plan for my life. And I know it's easy to pull away. I know it's easy to do my own thing. But God, help me in this moment to trust in you. Can we just pray across this place? Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the confidence that we have in your plan. God, nothing is outside of your preview. Nothing is outside of your sovereignty. And God, in this place, we put our hope and our life in your hands. God, we commit to building our life, our each day, each moment, according to your purpose for our life. Trusting in you, hoping in you, relying on you, walking with you, doing what you called us to do faithfully each and every day. May this be our prayer. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this together.